see what God is doing in the life of Brett and Brittany Stowe. Uh, Brett, I knew when he was just a little pipsqueak playing basketball over at Cornerstone Christian School. That's where I went to school back in the day here in Decatur. And just to see him grow up and now uh, find a wife who said yes, and, uh, and then to uh, see their family grow, and uh, their little boy, Isaiah. But um, we're excited about what uh, the uh, potential opportunities that lie ahead for the Stowe family. And so I've asked Brett to preach this morning and told him it'd be a little bit abbreviated since we had extra things we were doing in our service. But he's just going to share his heart for the next 30 to 35 minutes. And so, Brett, would you come and speak to us today? And uh, looking forward to what God might uh, move us to do as we partner with you. God bless you. Thanks, All right. Well, we're excited to be with you all. Um, I can honestly say that this is the first time I've ever been called organic um, at a deputation. And I consider that a privilege. That's, that's pretty awesome and amazing. So, uh, But no, we're, we're very thankful. We're excited to be back for the second time, come and share more of our, our ministry, help you get to know us better. Um, I'm coming back tonight for the ice cream. So if you don't care about us, come back for that and then listen in on uh, what we have to say. But I uh, enjoyed that video as well. There's a few missionaries that uh, well, I was privileged after my, I think it was my senior year of college, um, to go visit the, the benders in Scotland. Many of you would know who they are. Um, I actually jumped in that ocean that you saw. It lasted about 30 seconds and got out because I couldn't feel my body anymore. Uh, but it was fun. And Brittany's dad is actually, uh, you support Rachel Johnson, and Brittany's dad is actually a board member of that college. And Brittany's been to that college. So I know that ministry is close to our hearts as well. Um, very, Brittany's very close to the, the Hunt family as well. And so um, it's, it's exciting to see how all those, those connections and just what God's doing around this, this globe, um, even as we're here uh, this morning. So thank you once again. We would turn to Jonah, and we will be in many different um, parts of Jonah. Don't get scared. We're not going to actually read the whole book, but I'm going to reference... Um, just, again, many passages in this book, and I'd like this morning to answer a question, and that question is, how can we, how can you, how can I cultivate a heart for our city? Uh, how can you, and, and it, if it, you say, I live in the country, okay, how can you cultivate a heart for your community? Uh, maybe that's a better way of putting it for you, wherever you live, your context, but how can we cultivate a heart for our city, uh, Decatur, uh, your community, whether that's rural, whether that's suburban, wherever you are, how can we do that? And I believe Jonah's going to help us answer that question. And I want to seek to answer this question as we look at the book of Jonah. Uh, but instead of picking uh, specific things out, we're going to kind of, I'll, the first part I'll just give you, you don't even have to read. Um, I'm going to give you a quick survey of the story to refresh you. I'm sure all of you uh, remember the story of Jonah. It's a pretty popular one. Uh, but we're going to see in this book that Jonah is actually a bad example of how to do this. Uh, Jonah is not displayed in the book of Jonah as a good prophet. <laughs> uh, I believe Jonah wrote this book, and so I really believe it's him saying, hey, here's what not to do. Uh, I was a bad example of this. Uh, and, and it's amazing to see how he even ends this book in a way that, that leaves you almost hanging, like, okay, so, so what's, what's the answer? What's the story? Um, but we're going to look through the book of Jonah and see how his response was, and then see what should our response 
be, and we'll pull three applications uh, from this book this morning. Before we read through this, and before I just give you the story of Jonah, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, help your word, uh, you would just really enable uh, the word to, to speak this morning, that it would not be my thoughts, it would not be any, uh, any personality, it would not be any ideas that, that I think are clever that I'm saying, Lord, but it would just be strictly your truth, uh, and that your truth would change lives, even this morning, Lord, that we would walk out of here with a love, with a heart for our community, for our city, uh, to see that you have a desire for them, and that is that they know you. And Lord, we have a very vital part in that. You've chosen um, to work through us, Lord, and that is, that is how you've, you've called us to go. Whether it's here, whether it's abroad, Lord, you've called us to go and make disciples for you. And I pray we'd be challenged this morning to do that from the book of Jonah. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jonah was a prophet from small town in Israel where he faithfully prophesied for the Lord. Uh, we see him do, doing this in 2 Kings 14.25 during the reign of Jeroboam II. And he was also a contemporary of the prophets Amos and Hosea. So Jonah ministered alongside these other prophets as well. Well, one day God comes to Jonah with a mission. He says, the beginning um, of the book, you see in verse 2, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So God tasked Jonah with a mission of proclaiming or pronouncing judgment on one of the greatest cities of that day. And instead of obeying this command, Jonah runs the total opposite direction. As Jonah begins to sail to Tarshish to the city far away, all of a sudden the Lord sends a huge storm that threatens to break the boat that Jonah's in. Now you would think that Jonah would be scared out of his mind at this point. Uh, I, would, I would hope that I would be. Uh, you'd think he'd be terrified, saying, I'm running away from God, I, I'm going totally against his will. Uh, you don't do that to God and, and live. <laughs> but no, Jonah is knocked out of sleep below the boat. The sailors begin to wonder what's going on, and finally they cast lots. It falls on Jonah. Jonah's then thrown over the boat into the sea and left to die. He describes the scenes around him in chapter 2. Uh, you can read that. He describes the scenes around him as he slowly sinks to the depths of the sea, but Jonah would not easily escape God's plan for him. It wasn't that simple for Jonah. He couldn't just say, I'm running away from God, and God said, okay, go ahead. God appointed a fish, or potentially a whale, to swallow Jonah. Finally, in the belly of this fish, Jonah is humbled and brought to the end of himself. He cries out to God in thanksgiving and gratitude for saving him, and he commits to going to Nineveh. So it took, took this situation being swallowed by a fish, sinking to the depths of the sea, and finally Jonah, he humbles himself. He says, Lord, I'll do, I'll do what you want. After being vomited out by a fish, absolutely disgusting, Jonah proceeds to Nineveh. He arrives at this massive city and begins to preach judgment on these people. His message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not the most gracious of messages. In fact, I can almost guarantee that if you were to be in the same situation, your message would not be 40 days and you're done. I mean, <laughs> that's essentially his message. But God does a work. In miracle form, the people of Nineveh believe God. They begin to repent of their wrongdoing, and again, they believe in this God. This message goes so far, it reaches the king. He believes this God. In fact, he makes a decree that all people and animals fast and put on sackcloth and repent of their evil. This would be like us seeing today in, in our news. You, you flip on the news in the morning, you see that New York City's mayor uh, all of a sudden declares, we worship the one true God. 
um, you know, Jesus Christ, and then there's pictures of people repenting everywhere and turning to God, we would say, we missed it. <laughs> we, uh, the, the rapture or something's happened because we're, we, we've missed this totally. Uh, we'd say this is the end of the world. That probably that's the way we would respond, but that's really what happened in Jonah's day. When God saw their repentance and belief, he decided not to destroy the city. This was an amazing act of God's grace. You would think that Jonah would be thrilled that the people he preached to responded. Think of how many decisions he could, he could post about in his next newsletter. That was a joke as well, and I'm just kidding in that. Um, but instead, Jonah is angry. He tells God that this was the reason he didn't want to come to Nineveh. Not because he was afraid, and we'll look at this in just a little bit, not because he might die. Jonah did not want to come to Nineveh because he knew that God was gracious and merciful. He knew God might forgive them, and Jonah was upset. So Jonah goes outside the city in chapter 4 to pout. God in his love and mercy is not done teaching Jonah. He sends Jonah a plant to provide shade from the Middle Eastern heat, and this plant brought much comfort to Jonah. But the next day, God sends a worm to eat the plant, as well as a scorching uh, heat. And Jonah's now ended, or he's had enough. He welcomes death, and after a small conversation with God, God ends this story in book with a question that's meant to drive right at the heart of Jonah. If you would look at Jonah 4, we'll read verses 10 and 11. God said to Jonah, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? We'll look at three applications from this verse, but, but God is really telling Jonah, he's asking Jonah, saying, Jonah, you, you're devastated because this, this plant that I brought up for, for you to have shade from this heat, it came up in a night and it died. Your plant died. And Jonah, you could care less about the thousands of souls in Nineveh that have no idea what right and wrong are and apart from me are going to spend eternity in hell. And implied in that is Jonah. I don't think God may not say it this way, but we would probably say, really? Is, is that really your heart, Jonah? You don't care about those people, but you care about your little things, your, your plant. You care about what's, what's right here, what's involved in my life and in, in my comfort. And we see in this, these last two verses as well that really God is, is also implying that, that he is the one that has been building and growing this city for centuries for this time of, of, of the message being proclaimed and these people repenting. God is at work. We don't always see it. God's at work in Nineveh. He's wor at work preparing them to hear the message. He's at work in sending Jonah. He's at work here in Decatur, Alabama for people that you come across, for, for ministries that this church runs. He's doing that. He's working. Are we listening? Are we obeying? So how do you feel about your city? And again, we're talking about the people of this city that, that comes with cultures, personalities, ideas, all, all kinds of things. What's your first thought when you drive past uh, that homeless person? Now, I'm not trying to get into all political <laughs> uh, statements here, but is your first thought, you know what, if they just got a job, they would be well off. 
they could get. That might be true. I'm not denying that. That might be true. But is that our first thought rather than, what's their need? How can I help? Well, I have no idea what happened yesterday in their life. But we see in Christ's ministry, he saw people, he saw needs. He said, where can I use that as an opportunity really to share himself, <laughs> to share who he was, how he can meet their greatest need? When you hear your coworker talk about uh, what took place last week and maybe they were out drinking and they, they, they just had a great time, they, they, you know, they had a party and, and you're brought, you know, are you brought to compassion that, that they're pursuing treasures other than Christ for satisfaction? Or is your first thought, you know what, I didn't do that. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm doing great on this spiritual meter because I wasn't doing that. Do you see people in the city as the problem, or do you see people in the city as those who, apart from Christ's mercy and grace, are exactly like you and exactly like me? So how do we cultivate with this in mind? And, and that, again, if we're all honest with ourselves, every, there are times where all of our hearts are like that. We're all Jonah's. We don't just naturally produce compassion like Christ. We, we are so dependent on him to do that. We need his grace to do that, but that is what we're called to do. So how do we cultivate a heart for our city? These are three applications. These are three things that I believe will be helpful as we look at the example of Jonah. I want to be careful to say that I don't think this is a three-step process, that if you go home, you write these down, you say, check, I got that, check, I got the next one, that, that it's going to automatically produce this, this heart. This must be built on the foundation of a life that, that is pursuing after Christ, of a life that is, that is fighting sin, that loves Christ more than anything, that's built on being, again, being saved, being accepted by him in Christ, but I do think these things will help us as we see in Jonah's life. Chapter 2, reflect often on the saving work of Christ in your life. Reflect often on the saving work of Christ in your life. Just two chapters earlier in this book, in chapter 2, uh, we find the famous Jonah and the whale account. Jonah was running away from God. It almost killed him. All right, We read this story knowing the ending, but I guarantee you that Jonah... Um, in chapter 2, again, we read chapter 2 knowing chapter 4. We see Jonah falling to the depths of the sea, and we're thinking, well, he's going to make it to Nineveh because I read chapter 4. <laughs> I know what happens. Jonah in chapter 2 does not know that. He's thinking, this is it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm done. There are, there are no second chances here. I'm about to die. And in Jonah chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, if you would look in verse 5. It says, therefore, thou shalt have none that shall cast a core. Oh, I'm reading in Micah. That is not Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, verse 5. It says, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto, unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You know, I don't think that this was Jonah's heart attitude as he was complaining to God for saving the people of Nineveh just two, two, two chapters later. Yet how often are we the same we see in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about that that, that that was us and such were some of you, but we've, we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been cleansed by Christ. 
There's an author, Jerry Bridges, known for his quote. He says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And this is really what we're talking about. The moment we begin to lose sight of the grace and mercy that's been shown to us in Christ Jesus, you, you will not have compassion for the people around you. If you're so focused on, on you, if I forget uh, that I was a sinner in need of Savior, that there was nothing in me that deserved to be saved, that I could do nothing in Christ and his mercy and grace saved me. When that becomes old, when, when I get complacent about that, you're, I'm not going to care about the South Africans around me that need to hear about him. So what do we do? We reflect often on the saving work of Christ in your life. Every single day as you wake up, as you, as you get on your knees, as you pray, as you open up the word of God and, and, and spend time with him, just remind yourself through his word, say, Lord, thank you. Lord, um, without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I'm lost. But Christ, uh, because of his grace and mercy, saved me. Remind yourself of that every single day. As it gets tough, as it gets hard, and you will need that, but remind, reflect often on the saving work of Christ in your life. Number two, second observation, study the character of God and lovingly submit to it. Look in chapter four. We'll read the first three verses of chapter 4 as well. Study the character of God and lovingly submit to it. Uh, verse 1 says in chapter 4, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto, the, unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, a merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is absolutely astonishing. Jonah was not simply uh, frustrated. If you look, if you were to study uh, verse, verse 2 or verse 1, uh, you'd see that th this, this wording here, Jonah is, I mean, he's mad. And we see that later when he says, Lord, kill me. He is, he is very angry. He was furious that God had saved the people of Nineveh. In fact, again, he tells God clearly, he says, the reason I did not want to come, come to Nineveh, Lord, uh, look in verse 2. Again, we'll read it again. It says, and he prepared unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. So this is why I fled, Lord, for I knew that you're a gracious God. You're merciful, you're slow to anger, you're of great kindness. What he's saying is, Lord, I knew that you just might save these people. And I did not want that to happen. Now, before we judge Jonah too much, we won't take time to go through these. But you could read through Hosea. Uh, you could read through Amos. You could read through Isaiah. And certain parts of that, you'd see that there's actually uh, prophecies about Assyria. Jonah's, Jonah's, Jonah knows that those people are the enemy. Uh, those people are predicted to one day take us. And Lord, you have an opportunity to wipe these people out. We are your people. Why would you not do that? Why would you not take care of this problem? You know, in Jonah's mind, take him out. No, no more problem. No more captivity. And again, we see Jonah was contemporary with some of these prophets, but whether he knew the specifics of this, maybe not. Jonah would have known they're the enemy and a nation that could potentially destroy them. So we see, first of all, know the character of God. You know, Jonah knew God's character. Again, verse 2, we won't read it, but it says he was gracious. He knew that God was gracious. He knew God was merciful. He knew God was slow to anger. 
He knew God, he abounded in this steadfast love, this loyal love. We knew that he did not, he knew that God did not take pleasure in destruction. God did not wake up desiring uh, to destroy these people. That was not God's love. Jonah's response is not correct, and we'll look at that, but his knowledge was. Jonah knew the right things about God. And I don't want to skip this, because before you can have a heart for this city like God does, you must know the heart of God. You, you can't build on no knowledge. You can't say, God's just going to zap into me who he is. No, you've got to read it. You've got to look at it. You've got to, uh, you've got to be in relationship with God. You must know who he is and what, he's, what he says he is in his word. So you must know the character of God, but very, very importantly, we see in Jonah's life that is not enough. If you want a heart for the city, you must also submit to it and really lovingly embrace who he is. Jonah believed God. He proclaimed the message faithfully, and God even blessed his ministry. All the while, Jonah hated the people and the city that he ministered in. And this is scary. Did you know you can walk out of those doors, you can go and do ministry all week long and absolutely have no desire for the people around you? And God could potentially, I'm not saying he will, he could possibly, in his grace, bless that. In fact, one of the biggest one of the lessons in Jonah, this is our, the main thing we're talking about, but even a selfish prophet can't stop the saving work of God when he determines to accomplish it. There, there's really no other way of describing Jonah. It, it was not because of Jonah. I mean, he was a failure. And God, he, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, show mercy to these people. It's astonishing. But we do see that God desires more than simple outward obedience. And that's why we have the rest of the book. That's why we have chapter 4. God says, Jonah, I'm not finished with you. There's a problem. And I want to I go right at the heart of the problem. We need to address this. So again, you may be here this morning. You know the Bible. You may have read through the, this book in a year for the past 20 years. But if you want a heart that desires to reach this city, if you want a heart that desires to reach Decatur, Alabama, it's going to take more than that. You've got to know God's truth. You've got to be in his word. You've got to, uh, you've got to build that up. You've got to know who he is, but you've also got to submit to it. Say, Lord, you love these people. I know that. Therefore, I will love these people. Therefore, I will cultivate a heart that, that desires to see people come to know Christ. Therefore, I will cultivate a heart that, that desires to see them built up to be mature in who Christ is. Have you surrendered your heart, your mind, your will, your future plans to God's found in his word? Third observation. So number one, uh, reflect often on the saving work of Christ in your life. Number two, know the character of God, lovingly submit to it. And then now number three, repent of your selfishness and look to the needs of others. We won't spend time and go through the rest of chapter four, but if you were to read through the rest of uh, the chapter in, in, in Jonah chapter four, it says you'd find out that Jonah looked at this city and these people and he saw only a threat. Jonah looked at the wickedness of these people, Nineveh, and, and desired God's judgment, really while his own people, Israel, pursued rampant wickedness. It really wasn't, it was kind of hypocritical of Jonah in that way. The fact that all these people were lost in their sin and on a path to face God's judgment, um, it, it was not a cause of concern for Jonah, apparently. 
In fact, these people didn't even have the revealed word of God that Israel did. The point, you read through Romans, and and Paul states explicitly, he said, you had the oracles of God, you had the very word of God. There is much, uh, much gain in being of Israel. But unlike Jonah, Christ saw the needs of others. Christ had compassion on them. Christ was moved to compassion to meet their physical needs, but he was moved primarily to meet their spiritual need of him. Again, Matthew chapter 9, I'll read it for you. Uh, we see Christ's response, and, and, and again, the total opposite of what Jonah's response was, but listen as, as we read of Christ. In Matthew nine thirty-five. it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Christ saw people. He saw needs. He saw, uh, he saw people that, said that, that needed him, and his response was compassion. He was moved with compassion. Do you see people that need a savior in this city? Or do you see problems in your way of comfort, blessing, etc.? Let's get our eyes off of ourselves. And again, we all, we will all do this, probably today. Let's get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the needs of others. Many of you probably heard stories of George Mueller. He uh, spent most of his ministry life in Bristol, England, pastoring the same church for 66 years, which is absolutely astonishing. Um, he incredible to be in one ministry pastoring for 66 years. He founded the Scripture Knowledge Institute, which saw the development of schools for children and adults to teach Bible knowledge. He distributed Bibles, this institute. They supported missionaries. They distributed books and tracts. And they, they were uh, made specifically to board, clothe, and scripturally educate destitute children who have lost both parents by death. So if an orphan had lost both parents by death, uh, this, this institute, this place would take them in. He built five orphan houses and cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. And I'll close with this quote by George Mueller, and this is what he says about his life. <clears throat> he says, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this, above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention, but I deliberately repeat It is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now after much experience, I specially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. And if you were to look in the life of George Mueller, you would see that he did that by the boring, the mundane, getting into the word of God every single day. He woke up, he read God's word, he fellowshiped with God. And that was George Mueller's strategy to do ministry to thousands of people. George Mueller could not interact with with the God of heaven, with Christ Jesus in this book, and not go out and do something about it. It, it, That wasn't even an issue. He said, we've got to do something because Christ. So I pray that that be our heart as well, that we be motivated out of a heart 
for Christ to go serve those around us primarily as we share the gospel with them and see others come to know Christ. Let's pray.